This message was recorded at Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our goal is to faithfully preach the Word of God for the salvation of sinners, the strengthening of believers, and the glory of God. Please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org and listen for more information at the conclusion of this message. Matthew 3, we're going to start in verse 13. Let's, uh, let's pray. Lord, we do come uh, before You tonight, Lord, uh, in the name of Jesus. Lord, we thank You for this great salvation that we experience through the knowledge of You, through the regenerating power of Your Spirit, through Your sanctifying grace and the promises, Lord, that we lay hold of by faith, promises of eternal life. Lord, thank You for the privilege of being able to come together and study these things, take time apart uh, from the affairs that we're engaged in in this world and Meditate, discuss, pray, read, Lord, and we ask Your blessing on all of it. I pray for enablement to uh, say what You would have said here. I ask that You uh, enable me to present the truth here clearly and accurately, uh, the truth that You would have delivered specifically tonight. And I pray, Lord, that You enable all of us to hear. Make Your Word effective in us, uh, Lord. Teach us Your ways. Show us Your truths, Lord. Lead us in Your paths. Lord, may our love for You grow May our compassion for others increase. Lord, may we have singleness of heart in our our, uh, lives here as we seek to do what glorifies You, what honors You in all that we do. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. We uh, are in need of an alien righteousness. Um, I know usually when we hear the word alien, we think of one one of two things, don't we? And and one of them is actually really close to what I'm talking about here. Uh, But one one of the things that's not really close at all is we we think of uh, ET, you know, extraterrestrial... (laughs) <laughs> beings, aliens from outer space. Uh, well, that's not what we're talking about at all. Um, but the, the meaning of the word uh, has the same connotation. We're talking about if, if we're talking about an alien from outer outer space, we're still talking about some something apart from us. Or the other thing we typically think about, especially with all the the, the political discussion about. Illegal immigration. Um, we think about illegal aliens coming into our 
country, which I guess technically uh, extraterrestrials would fall into that category too, but uh, were there such a thing? <clears throat> but at any rate, um, that's what we think of as aliens. But the reason is because they're foreign, apart from us. And why we use that term is what the term has to do with, alien. So theologically, I mean, this, this term alien righteousness describes a righteousness that is apart from us, not ours. It's, it's alien to us. It's foreign to us. And we come into this world as sinners in the state of rebellion. We have no righteousness of our own. We're, we're born. We're con- like like uh, David says in the Psalms, we're conceived in sin. So really, before birth, at conception, life begins and it's the life of a rebel. A, a, a rebel against God. Hard for us to think that way, isn't it, about babies? Um, yet, that's a truth that the Scripture clearly presents. To illustrate that, the, the sinful nature. R.F. Gates used to use the analogy of a rattlesnake, and you know, and he when they're too little to bite or whatever. And I don't know if there is such a time when they're too little to bite. I've never played with baby rattlesnakes, but but the point was simply this: if if there is a point when they first hatch or whatever, and they're too little to, to bite. Certainly, they're too little to do much damage. You would be able to uh, avoid it. They still have the nature of a rattlesnake. And when they grow enough or get in the right circumstances, guess what? They'll strike. But that nature is with them from the moment they're conceived or, you know, and from the moment they hatch. That nature's there. They're a rattlesnake. And given the opportunity, eventually they'll strike. Yeah, that's the way it is with human beings. We're, we're all conceived as sinners. That rebellion is there. And it only takes time and opportunity for it to manifest. And it, it is a rebellion against God. Now, here's if that's not, not just trying to give you bad news here, but if that's not bad enough, it's also true that as time goes on and we learn and we grow and we mature physically and intellectually, it doesn't get better. What, what happens is opportunities arise for us to strike. And instead of avoiding those things because, you know, we're learning and we're growing and we're gaining knowledge, so you think, wouldn't you, especially with all the pop psychology out there today, if you listen to those kinds of things, you would think, wouldn't you, that what, what would happen as a human being grows and matures physically and mentally, that um, we would become better persons. But in reality, what happens is we just get those, like that baby rattlesnake we were talking about, as it grows and eventually if it's put in position, it strikes. What happens as we grow is we just get opportunities and the nature that was already there 
manifest. Our rebellion that was already there manifests and we, we strike. And the unrighteous state that we were in ever since conception um, becomes manifest. It becomes seen. It becomes uh, acted out. And so, as a newly conceived human being, and by the way, a, a uh, unborn child from the moment of the conception is a human being, uh, as a unborn human being all the way, if you live to be 150 years old, um, you and I, we have no righteousness of our own. We're born in a state of rebellion and we, left to ourselves, stay there. And even if we're not left to ourselves, if the Lord intervenes and saves us, which um, presumably is the case for all of us here tonight, we, we have been saved by the grace of God, we still have no righteousness of our own. We stand in need of an alien righteousness because we have nothing to offer God to, to hold up to Him and say, here, here's, here's what I've done, here's what I've achieved, here's what I am. I'm offering it to you. We have, we have nothing acceptable because of that. We need some, something, somebody from, from outside of us, foreign to us to step in and provide what we cannot provide. We need an alien righteousness, a righteousness apart from us, because we we don't have it and we have no way of obtaining it. So if we're going to be reconciled to God, and that's what salvation is all about, we come into this world as sinners because we've inherited the sin nature that has been passed down since Adam, from generation to generation to generation, somewhat like a genetic disposition to a disease and that runs in a family. Uh, and I don't know how it runs. I don't know if it's in the genes. I don't know. I don't have the answer to that. But, but somehow it does. It passes on from generation to generation. We're all infected with it. And so we're all in a state of rebellion naturally because we have that sin nature. And we have no way to produce righteousness. We have no way to reverse what we are, how we began. And so we continue in that state. We are in need of an alien righteousness. We need a righteousness apart from us or else there's no hope. I want to give you a few verses here, and then I want to try to uh, <clears throat> tie them together to show that that's exactly what God has done for those who come to Him through faith in Jesus Christ. He has provided righteousness for us and puts it to our Account. It's an alien righteousness. I can't. I know. I may. You may sound like, well, you said that fifty times already. But we need to understand. Even as Christians, we are dependent on a righteousness outside and apart from us. We have nothing in and of ourselves 
to make us right with God. And again, as sinners, we're in need of reconciliation with God, and the only way to be reconciled to God is to be righteous. That's what He commands. Be holy, for I am holy. The only way to be reconciled to Him is to be righteous in His sight. We have to be righteous. And we cannot, as we've already made plain, we cannot be. So, there's the dilemma. We have no righteousness. We're in need of an alien righteousness. And here's the remedy or the solution God has provided that righteousness for us in the person of Jesus Christ. Now, let's go to verse 13 first of all. And let me read the remaining verses of this chapter. And then we're going to look at a few other verses as well. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. And John tried to prevent him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. And are you coming to me? But Jesus answered and said to him, Permit it to be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he allowed him. When he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. Suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. In the first century, we've already mentioned this, just a, just a little reminder, but in the first century, there, there was great expectation of the coming Messiah. They, they've been waiting a long time, and there had been different false messiahs rise up and then get defeated, and, and they're living under the oppression of Roman rule, which they didn't appreciate, and so they're, they're, they're looking, looking, looking for this, uh, this Messiah, this deliverer. And then along comes John the Baptist, and as I said this morning, first of all, uh, you know, because of John's obvious uh, uh, righteousness, you could say, and I don't mean that in the sense of that he was perfect or anything, but I just mean that he was, he was a man doing God's will. And because that was obvious and because they, they could apparently uh, uh, perceive that he was actually speaking uh, a message from God, they began to think maybe he was the Messiah. And that's a, that's a little bit uh, uh, astounding in itself because you, you would... You can imagine, for the most part, what people are expecting is some kind of great ruler like David. Um, they're thinking the Messiah, the Deliverer, he's going to he's going to set them free from Roman rule, reestablish the uh, kingdom. So they're looking for a great king warrior. Well, John the Baptist doesn't exactly fit that either, but he's obviously a prophet of God. And so, because you know many people accept that, they, they believe what he's saying, and they begin to think, you know, maybe this is he's he's different. I mean, he <laughs> he stands out uh, the way he dresses and eats, and he stands out. So he he's different, and he's he's definitely speaking 
a message from God. So maybe this is the Messiah. And John says, oh, no, 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 no. Um, I'm just here to announce. I'm a messenger. I'm just here to announce the coming of the coming one. I was telling Leslie earlier, I love those little nuances in the Greek, the participle in this case. John, in, here in uh, verse 11, He who is coming, he who is coming after me is mightier than I. He who is coming is one word in the Greek, and it's, it's the coming one, the coming one. So, John says, oh no, there's the coming one. The coming one is mightier than I. Well, imagine what they're thinking now. Okay, yeah, well, probably is then some king warrior. I mean, this guy's uh, a little different, John the Baptist. This guy's a little different, but, but he's obviously a man of God. But he himself has said, the one, capital O, is mightier than I. And he's, and he's coming. He's coming soon. The kingdom of God is near. So expectations are really, really high. And if this were, were a uh, fairy tale type story written by a man, you can imagine how it would play out from there. You know, somehow this, this huge charismatic figure arrives on the scene, rides in on his, you know, stallion or whatever and saves the day and overthrows the Romans and probably appears first in Jerusalem in the kind of political and religious center. But with all that expectation and announcement of the arrival of the king, Matthew says, verse 13, then Jesus came from Galilee. I mean, just... <laughs> it's just unassuming, isn't it? I mean, it's, just, it's not what you'd expect. Then, then Jesus came from Galilee. After me, he who is coming after me is mightier than I. Then Jesus came from Galilee. From Galilee. And, of course, the people later, you know, when they are beginning to be told this, they respond by saying, Galilee? Nothing good's ever come out of Galilee. Come on. Nothing good's ever come out of Nazareth. Jesus came from Galilee. And He's the one. He's the mightier one. And he walks up when, while John is baptizing, and probably no one would have even known who he was or noticed anything different about him if it had not been for the ministry of John. I mean, obviously there's multitudes there, and Jesus walks up, uh, not standing out in any particular way, until John says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's a king. He's a warrior. But not at all like they were expecting. In right into Jerusalem on a stallion with an army, defeat the Romans and set up an earthly kingdom. Walks up along the riverbank, quietly. Pretty much, and you know, well, until John announces. <laughs> <laughs> Behold the Lamb of God. And then there's a voice from heaven. Um, but just kind of walks up. I mean, here he is, 30 years old. Doesn't seem that, uh, other than the fact that he was obviously really smart, you know, when he was 12 years old in the temple, 
It doesn't seem that anybody has really noticed anything different about him, just like any other man pretty much. But he's the one. He's the one John was talking about. The coming one. The mightier one. In verse 13, Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. And John tried to prevent him. Now remember, John knows who he is. The Spirit of God has revealed to John who this is. So he knows this is the one. This is the Messiah. So John tries to prevent him. That's why he tries to stop him, because he's already said, this is one who is mightier than I. I'm not even worthy to carry his sandals, to, to unlatch his sandals. So Jesus walks up to John and says, uh, you know, I'm ready to be baptized. And John's whole thing is the baptism of repentance, right? Or unto repentance. He's baptizing sinners unto repentance. And so the first thought in John's mind is, wait a minute. You don't need to be baptized. You're the one. In fact, mightier than I. Here's the deal. You don't need to be baptized by me. I need to be baptized by you. Remember, John has already said, the one coming after me is mightier. I baptize with water unto repentance, but he will baptize you in the Holy Spirit. (laughs) John showing not that his ministry was insignificant, it was very important, God-ordained, but in comparison, how much superior the ministry of Jesus was. I baptize with water, he baptizes with the Holy Spirit. So he says, you don't need to be baptized by me, I need to be baptized by you. And then Jesus says in verse 15, permit it to be so now, for thus... It is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Now, that's a, that's the statement that I, I want to try to unpack here, and and it's loaded. I mean, I mean that that statement there is is pregnant with biblical, profound biblical truth. Permit it to be so now. For thus, he's saying, we're going to do this. Do it, John. Do it, do it now. Because it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Okay, let me, let me just say real quickly what Jesus cannot be talking about. I mean, the others would come. John was crying out, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Well, he's talking to sinners, you know, with, like all of us, with the sin nature. They need to repent because the kingdom is at hand. He's trying to get them ready for the coming of the kingdom, the coming of the king. And so, they would come, in a, in, in a sense, to fulfill righteousness. That is, they would come and submit, be baptized, repent, you know, make a commitment to... Uh, Repentance, which is symbolized in the baptism, for the sake of righteousness. I mean, in other words, they're just trying to do, in a practical sense, be obedient to the Lord, do what is right. That cannot be what Jesus is meaning here. Because He's unlike all the rest of them. In that, He has no sin. So when He says, permit it to be so, 
for it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. He's not saying, John, this is, this is a part of me, just like everybody else out here. This is a part of me becoming righteous before God. I've got to do this. We've got to fulfill this for me to be righteous. He's not saying that. Because he doesn't fit the scenario that we gave earlier. Every one of us, from the moment of conception, sinners, rebels. Not so with Jesus. He knew no sin. He had no experiential knowledge of sin. No personal experience with it as far as indwelling sin. He did not inherit the sin nature. He was never, ever in rebellion against God. So he's not saying that. He's not saying, I need to do this, John, in order for me to be righteous. Well, what is he saying? Well, before we answer that, I want to look at a couple of other passages here. Um, turn with me to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. And look at uh, well, let's look at verse sixteen here. Paul writing to the to the Roman church, he says in verse sixteen, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. Literally, from faith into faith. I think it's just the idea of it's, it's faith the whole way. You know, it's revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. I was just reading a little article the other day um, about how this... Uh, uh, should should be interpreted rightly this little phrase righteousness of god and uh it, it was a little technical and I'll spare you all that but just just let me uh say this they they got it right here i mean this is this is what it means okay that phrase the greek phrase that is translated here righteousness of god can have some other uh it can be translated a little different ways but but i i, I would submit they got it right here the righteousness of God. For in it, that is in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. That is, it's made known from faith to faith. So Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. That's, that's the message, the message of Christ. Christ came into the world to save sinners, so He came right for us. He became, God became man lived among us. Ultimately, He died at Calvary and rose again. I'm not ashamed of the Gospel of Christ for it. That is, that message, the Gospel of Christ, the good news message, is the power of God to salvation. 
The gospel message, the gospel of Jesus Christ, is the means by which men are saved. I, I don't think scripturally, and if you and if you can show me, and I don't I don't mean that I, I mean just mean sincerely, show me because I, I I don't think I don't think scripturally you can find one single case of anybody being saved in the scripture apart from the proclamation of the gospel. They got to hear the message, and so that's why we're commanded to take it out as well. In fact, in this same book, chapter 10, Paul says, how shall they hear without a preacher? Right? So, the gospel is the means by which God saves sinners. In Corinthians, Paul says, it's by the foolishness of the message preached that God chose to save those who believe. So, the gospel is the power of God. I tell you, a lot, of, a lot of people today think, you know, it's an, it's an antiquated message. It's, it's had its day, it's irrelevant, has no meaning for our society. We live in the 21st century. It's at least a 2,000 year old message. But I tell you, today, it's the power of God unto salvation. There's no salvation without it. God saves sinners through the preaching of the gospel. And Paul says, I'm not ashamed of that. That's God's means. And so we can't be either. We've got to faithfully preach the gospel message. Because it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. So it doesn't just, you know, not everybody's just automatically saved because the gospel is proclaimed. They've got to believe. It's the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. And it's for everybody in the world. Jews and Greeks. That's just a way of saying everybody. you know, Because the term Greeks, Greek here just means non-Jew. It's Jew and non-Jew. It is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first, and also for the Greek, for in it, remember what he just said, it's the power of God unto salvation... For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed. In the gospel. In the gospel message. (laughs) This is is the essence of the gospel message. The, The righteousness of God is revealed in the gospel. So Paul says, because of that, because this is where the righteousness of God is revealed, it's the power of God to salvation for all who believe. Now, if, if they don't believe, then it's rendered ineffectual in, in their life. But for the believers, it's the power of God. Now, let's jump over to chapter 3, Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3. Verse 21, but now, well, let me start with verse 20, because this is definitely relevant here. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. That is, in God's sight, for the law is the knowledge of sin. So, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified. Um, And if you go back and read the first few chapters of Romans... That that's applicable not just for Mosaic law, but any law, any law you want to 
come up with, um, none of them justify. No flesh will be justified in the sight of God by law, by the keeping of the law. That's just uh, another way of saying what I was saying earlier. We cannot earn righteousness on our own. Now, verse 21. But now, but now, the righteousness of God, there's that phrase again, the righteousness of God. But now, the righteousness of God, apart from the law, is revealed, made known, being witnessed by the law, and the, and the prophets. That's interesting, isn't it? He says that the law, the, the, the Old Testament law, bears witness to the righteousness of God, which is revealed in the gospel. But the law can't save you. Now, it does bear witness to God's righteousness, but it doesn't provide you with it, doesn't apply it to you. So now the righteousness of God apart from the law, that, or you could say without the law. In other words, it's not in the law, it's separate from the law. The righteousness of God is not realized in the law. It's, it's, it's seen to some extent. I mean, that's why Paul says it bears witness. The law bears witness to it. We, 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 we look at Old Testament law, it's perfect, right? And so in it, you have a reflection of the character of God. But it's not realized, the righteousness of God is not realized in law in the sense that you and I can become righteous. We cannot be become righteous through the law. By the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in His sight. One more time in verse 21. But now the righteousness of God, now, should emphasize that, but now, because that's what Paul's saying, we're in a different time here. But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God. And there's that phrase again. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all, and boy, this is good, to all and on all who believe. For there is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So Paul says, in, in essence, let me just kind of paraphrase that, you don't get righteousness through the law. There's, there's no righteousness to you and on you through the law. By the deeds of the law, no flesh shall be justified. And we weren't born with it. All you got to do is go back to uh, earlier verses in this chapter here, starting about verse 9 or so, 10, and you'll see... Uh, that we have no righteousness of our own. He emphatically makes that point. There is, for example, verse uh, 10, There is none righteous, no, not one. He's quoting from Psalm 14. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside, have together become unprofitable. And he goes on and on and on. No righteousness. We didn't inherit any righteousness. There's no righteousness inherent in us. We can't achieve righteousness through the law because the law doesn't provide it. What it really does is, is expose our sinfulness because the law is right and good and just. And the very fact that we transgress the law just exposes 
how sinful we really are. So there's no righteousness to and on us through the law. Yet, chapter 1, he's already said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God unto salvation, for the righteousness of God is revealed in it. And here he says essentially the same thing. Now, in verse 21, now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed. Where is it revealed? We know already from chapter 1, verse 16. It's revealed in the gospel, in the message of Jesus Christ. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. There it is, the gospel. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Christ. Now, here's what I want you to notice. In in chapter 1, verse 17, chapter 3, verse 21, and verse 22, what he is emphatically drawing attention to here as being revealed is the righteousness of God. And on the negative side, what he is emphatically stating is that we have no righteousness. We have no righteousness of our own. We are in need of an alien righteousness, a righteousness separate from us, apart from us, foreign to us. Because we don't have it, and it's not possible for us to get it. So it has to be provided from outside, and Paul says, <laughs> it is. That's the great news, the good news of the gospel. God has revealed, made known, His righteousness. His own righteousness. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation because... The righteousness of God is revealed or made known in it. That's why that message is the power of God into salvation. Because it is the proclamation of the provision of God's own righteousness for all those who believe. Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3, verse 15, Jesus answered and said to him, Permit it to be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Now, John is calling on the Jews to come and repent and be baptized. And Jesus is a Jew. Came, born of a woman of the seed of Abraham. But he has no sin. He has nothing to repent of. And yet, righteousness, he says, all righteousness needs to be fulfilled. It needs to be completed. He is earning righteousness here. He's never, ever, ever sinned, which means he has never, ever transgressed the law. And he's gone beyond that, and that he's not only kept the letter of the law, which incidentally does not save, as we already saw, but he's not only kept the letter of the law, but he's kept the spirit of the law.
in that he has perfectly done the will of God, fulfilling all righteousness. fully motivated by love for the Father and submission to His will. What I'm saying is this. Jesus came as a man. He took on the form of a servant. That is, He became a man. And He lived out the life that you and I are incapable of, get, of, of living. And He did it to earn righteousness as a man for us. Because He didn't need it. He didn't even need to come. <laughs> he, was, he, was, he was in perfect fellowship with the Father and the Holy Spirit from all eternity. They had no breach. Perfect love, perfect unity. Yet, He says... It's fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Why? Because this is the only way for you and I to be saved. Somebody has got to do what Adam didn't do. And Adam stood as our federal head. That is, he stood as a representative for all humanity, even though I know you'll say, well, there was no other humanity at that time. Well, that's right. But all who would descend from him... He stood as representative for all of humanity in a perfect environment and flunked the test. He disobeyed God. God spoke. God spoke clearly. Here's what you can have. Here's what you cannot have. You're good to go. And Adam rebelled. And Eve rebelled. And because Adam stood as representative for the whole human race, when he went down, we went down. And we inherited his sinful nature. So what we need now is another head. One that can do a better job. We need another representative to step up and do the will of God perfectly, or else there is no hope of restoration for us. And that included all manner. That included the keeping of the law, the outward symbols, in this case, baptism. It included worship and obedience from the heart, perfect desire to do the perfect will of God. To be pleasing to God. So everything, and I couldn't begin to, uh, to, to, you know, to make a list of everything, but everything that's included in perfect righteousness had to be fulfilled to the T. And so Jesus says it's fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Why? Because He is providing Righteousness for us. And so then John allowed him. Probably didn't understand. You and I, even with the whole revelation of the New Testament, don't fully understand, I'm sure. But 
He goes on, verse 16, When he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly, a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Mark those words, in whom I am well pleased, because they don't apply to anybody else except Jesus. And that phrase, that what, what Jesus said in verse 15, is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And this phrase from God the Father, audible voice from heaven, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. That phrase, those phrases are essential for our salvation. They are what our salvation hangs on. In other words, if Jesus had not perfectly pleased the Father, if He had not perfectly fulfilled all righteousness, then you and I would still be doomed today. We need an alien righteousness. Someone, someone we're, we're so helpless to the point. We can do nothing for ourselves. We're totally dependent on someone outside of us and apart from us coming to the rescue and providing the righteousness that we just don't have and cannot achieve. And God has done that in the person of Jesus Christ. Isaiah said he'll look on his soul and be satisfied. My beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. In whom I am well pleased. And we fast forward just a moment to the cross. Jesus, one of Jesus' last sayings on the cross. It is finished. I mean, here he's in the process. It's, it's fitting that we do this. We've got to fulfill all righteousness. At the cross, he's saying, it is done. It is finished. And that is what Paul is talking about. It's the power of God to salvation for us. For us who believe. Tying our salvation to the cross is is so often thought of. It's probably you know you know I'm sure we 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 take it for granted. I think one thing that's often not considered is that our salvation is just as much tied to Jesus' life. The reason He came and lived as a man was to provide the righteousness that you and I needed to stand as our representative and perfectly do the will of God on our behalf, fulfilling all righteousness for us. So when we talk about the work of Christ, being saved by the work of Christ, we're talking about His life, His death at Calvary, 
and His resurrection, all His work tied together provides what we need in order to be saved. And apart from it, there is no salvation. He's the only one that's ever done this. He's the only one that's ever fulfilled it. He's the only one for whom heavens have opened up audibly and said, this is my Son. I am well pleased. Brothers, if y'all would come and prepare, we'll, we'll prepare to uh, take of the Lord's Supper. And that will give us something to meditate on as we do. What Jesus has done in our behalf, in His life, in His sacrificial death, and in His resurrection and exaltation to the right hand of God. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. This sermon is made available through the ministry of Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our desire is to faithfully proclaim the message of salvation which God has provided in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ our Lord. For more resources and information, please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org. You may use the links there to contact us or write us at Fillmore Baptist Church, 6304 Highway 80, Princeton, Louisiana, 71067.